I am so glad to be here. As I shared this morning, I have a number of connections with you all, first with the, the Blackburn family, but also some of you may not know that my very first appointment that was ratified by Bishop McCleskey was also the first appointment of Keith Terman. And if you go to Faith United Methodist down where Daco used to be, you will see his picture and my picture beside one another. And one of the funniest things that would happen to me during my time here in Waynesville is if I went to the subway at Walmart or the Ingalls on the Hill, people would greet me as, hey, Keith. <laughs> and after 15 years in ministry, people continue to think that I am Keith. <laughs> I am honored to be here in his absence, and I'm so grateful that he serves a church that blesses uh, clergy care and renewal leave. Why do we thank Christians for practicing their Christianity? A seminary professor who was agitated asked. The gold medallion certificates presented to the youth group after their first mission trip. The fellowship hall naming ceremony for the lay leader who cut the parsonage grass. The standing ovation and worship for the decades-long Sunday school teacher retired. As if recognition is an expectation for discipleship rendered. No one was applauding when Dorcas started the first Christian welfare program. Her ministry was among the widows, the most vulnerable, who had lost both husband and father-in-law and bore no son. She would refill their oil lamps before the lights went out and leave baskets of figs and pomegranates and loaves of barley bread by the back door. And she would express her care and concern most tenderly through fabric, handmade garments to cover women who were still shivering from grief from a family lost, women who had been left out in the cold. After decades of threading the needle, she died with her thimble still on as a devoted servant. Although today's scripture is often preached in response to Peter's miraculous resuscitation, I would draw our attention back to the only woman named a disciple in the entire New Testament. Let me say that again. The only woman named a disciple in the entire New Testament. Taking seriously her place in the inner circle, our question for discussion today is, what is Dorcas's legacy as a follower of Jesus? What is Dorcas's legacy as a follower of Jesus? Our scripture today is not printed in your bulletin. It comes from the book of Acts, chapter 9, starting at verse 36, if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible. Hear these words. Now in Joppa there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with a request. Please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when they arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, 
get up. Then she opened her eyes. Seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon the Tanner. The word of God for all of us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Right, church, a number of you have had a chance to visit at Haywood Street. For those of you that haven't, we are a downtown urban ministry in the homeless corridor, and our congregants are primarily folks that don't have a house, that live with active addiction and mental illness, or all three. And during the sermon, it is not a monologue, but rather participatory homily, because if there's one thing poverty takes away from you first, it's your voice. Please be quiet. So we try to do the opposite and say, God needs your voice to be spoken in this moment of worship. So you all get to play their role today. <laughs> so I'll ask the question again. What is the legacy of Dorcas as a follower of Jesus? What do you think? Generosity, yeah, that's a lovely answer. There are a number of things to pay attention to. One, Dorcas is a woman, that's remarkable. So that meant she had no voice, she was not allowed to own property, she had no standing of influence or power, but somehow she's been able to make a living. We're not sure how, she's a philanthropist. And of all the ways she could use her money, I think most financial advisors would tell her, in your station in life, you need to hoard that money and make sure you take care of herself. But instead, she does the opposite. She takes all of her money. In fact, the text says she gave everything away to those who are most vulnerable around her, and those were widows. You notice in the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, few people are near or at the top of the list more than widows. They were literally ostracized in every way, vulnerable, Dorcas says, these are the people I'm going to be most generous with. Yes, thank you. What else is Dorcas's legacy for all of us? Compassion. Yeah, I shared this morning. The difference between empathy and compassion is this. Empathy is creating safe space to share in the suffering and an act of solidarity with someone whose life has just fallen apart. To be empathetic is not to do anything. Compassion, however, is different. Compassion is, I see your pain and I am so provoked by the atrocity of what's happened to you that I can't not stay still. I have to do something. Compassion is an act of discipleship. And here, Dorcas, her response is compassionate. She is moved to action to those around her that are suffering, especially the widows, those folks, just like people in the downtown corridor of Asheville, just like the homeless community that's growing here in Waynesville, that are maced, made most invisible, who are silenced. Yes, compassion. What else? What is Dorcas's legacy? I'll turn to the choir. <laughs> Any ideas back here? Grace? That's always the right answer in the United Methodist Church. <laughs> um, what was Dorcas doing that was was gracious. The grace? Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Grace, we remember at its most basic, is favor that's unmerited. 
It wasn't deserving. And in ancient Palestine, women were not considered worthy of much of anything. And here Dorcas is saying, actually, to live out my faith is to be a subversive. I'm going to do the exact opposite of what the law says and what the land of the people say. It's an act of grace. Yes. Anybody else? What's that? Mother figure. That's a lovely answer. Yes. There is something wonderfully maternal about Dorcas. She, after all, is, is making tunics and blankets and coats for folks who are cold. When I served at Faith in Francis Cove, the most significant ministry that I remember being a part of is there were a group of knitters who would create these lovely prayer shawls, and in worship we would bless them and then drive them out to the different assisted living facilities. There is something that feels like a mother's love when you are wrapped in a handmade garment. And that's what Dorcas is doing here, too. Let's remember these widows have no family. They, they literally are destitute in every way. And in moments of struggle to be surrounded by something that's tangible, that's warm, that's caring, that was made by someone that loves you, it's a remarkable act of ministry. Anybody else? What's the legacy of Dorcas. Ah, to remember that you need to listen to Christ and not the public. Yes, the votes have been tallied. The mandate was clear. Don't do what Dorcas was doing. And yet she defied all of that in the name of love. So often, Jesus is going to ask us to do something that's going to put us at odds with whoever is in charge. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Yeah. Anybody else? What is Dorcas's legacy as a follower of Jesus? Radical hospitality. Radical hospitality. Yes. Hospitality is such a fundamental word in our faith. And here you have Dorcas spending her whole life. I can just imagine her in her corner of her home with just these piles of threads stitching stuff together to make someone feel welcome. You know, the, the be most beautiful definition of hospitality is it's not loving someone that you already know. It's not loving a family member. It's how you treat the person that's the abject stranger. And if you want to take it a step further, it's the person you hope will never move in next door and be your neighbor. That's Christian hospitality. And here, Dorcas is doing that to the very people who are so hated by society. I'm going to be hospitable to you. Yeah. In 1912, Bard Rustin was born in rural Westchester, Pennsylvania. He was raised by his Quaker grandparents with these two family values, social justice and pacifism. In 1943, 13 years before Rosa Parks did the same, he refused to give up his seat on public transportation and defy Jim Crow laws. Later, he conscientiously objected to the draft and served time for refusing to sign up for World War II. There in prison, he organized his fellow inmates and they integrated the mess hall. After he was released, he decided to go south. He came to North Carolina, where he was arrested a series of times more, and he served on a chain gang with fellow protesters in what would become a forerunner to the Freedom Riders. He had been studying Gandhi's resistance, and he became the primary influence on Martin Luther King Jr., who up until that time only traveled with firearms. 
convincing young King that nonviolence is the way, and it needs to start with the Montgomery bus boycott. Later on, because of his brilliance and his strategy, he was the one trusted to organize the March on Washington. Over his career in activism, he, according to most historians, was responsible for over half of the victories in the civil rights movement. And yet, he is a footnote of history. Time Magazine puts it this way, in the struggle for African-American dignity, Bard Rustin is the most critical figure that none of us have ever heard of. Likely because of his open homosexuality that marginalized him even more than his black skin, what you realize about this man is that his biography reveals that he often stood stage left outside of the spotlight in the drama for civil rights. And in fact, if you look at photographs from the time, you'll notice that his headshot is almost never in focus. His headshot is almost never in focus. Instead of being the chairman, he was the advisor. Instead of sitting in the first seat, he was often located in the second row. 2,000 years prior, Dorcas is emptying her purse into the collection plate, and she's gathering textiles for the next stitch out of public view. With her head down and her heart open to all of the dependent widows who are scraping by to survive. After her second death, if there is a lasting legacy that she gives to us, it's this. Faithful obscurity. Faithful obscurity. I'd never heard of Dorcas until I went to seminary. I'd never seen her image in stained glass, never read a book about her life, and I certainly have never been to a United Methodist Church that bears her name. And yet, her witness is so profound because our work and the kingdom is done ultimately for an audience of one. The holiest work among us is work done that other people don't notice. Friends, of course, it feels good to be recognized, but I want us to be vigilant about our motivations. Discipleship ultimately is a lifelong exercise in radical ego reduction. It's a spiritual discipline of supplanting our ambitions for the indwelling of a Savior who's far more interested in devotion rather than decoration. So the next time you find yourself at the sewing machine, be encouraged. You are sharing the saintly company of those who believe that one of God's greatest blessings is the gift of anonymity. Amen.